Dear God, we thank You for today. We thank You for uh, this beautiful day that we can come together and we can come together to worship You and to study Your Word. Um, I pray that You will, uh, as You always do, speak to us through Your Word. Um, soften our hearts so that we would be um, receptive of what You have to say. Um, we thank You for always being here with us and, and um, being here to help and guide us uh, through these um, different passages in your word that uh, we don't always like to hear, but we pray that you would be working on us this morning, help us to uh, come to your word humbly and um, to walk away with um, an attitude of worship and and one that is uh, willing to look at our own lives and to see where uh, we need to grow and we need to change. Um, Thank you again for all that you do for each one of us. Um, Pray that you would uh, just bless our time in your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It is good to be back with you guys this morning, up front anyways. Um, I always enjoy every opportunity that I do get to come and and preach and and share God's Word with you. And um, it always challenges me every time, um, whether it's uh, a difficult passage to understand and to... uh, understand what God has written down like like the last time uh, I was with you guys or like passages like this where it's just difficult to hear and it's it's really convicting and challenging to read and understand these passages when we have to really look at our own our own hearts and really understand what God is asking of us here and that is today uh, as we've been going through Malachi we've been looking at sincere life and worship. And that's really what God is calling His people to. And today, we've, I've titled it, Will Man Rob God? And that's what, what God says to Israel here in this passage. So we're really going to be talking about um, Israel and their giving, or lack of giving. And again, as we've been coming through Malachi, we see God continually challenging His people in different areas of their life, of their worship to Him. And we see that God has put boundaries on worship. God has told His people how He wants to be worshipped. God cares how He is worshipped. And really, He is the only being that, that deserves worship, so He's the one that gets to put those boundaries in place. He's the one who gets to say how He is worshipped. And so often, we come to worship from our own perspective. We come to the worship service looking for things that we like, things that we enjoy. We want to sing certain songs that are played a certain style by certain instruments. Or we want to listen to a certain style of preaching by a certain person. Things that we like, things that we want to hear, things that make us feel good. But do we really consider what God wants? He's the one that's being worshipped. Do we consider what God wants out of us from, from our worship? And God really has a lot to say in Scripture about what He wants from worship. About how He is to be worshipped. We see a lot in the Old Testament through the law that was given to the Israelites. A lot of the laws refer specifically to how they were to worship Him. 
And while we are no longer bound by the law, we can still learn from it. Because the law reveals to us who God is. It reveals to us God's character and what God wants from His people. It shows us that God is concerned, what God is concerned about when it comes to worship. And really, what we see in the law is that God is concerned about our hearts. God wants your heart in worship. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts or things that we must do or things that we can't do. God wants your heart. And that's what we will see today as we look at how Israel was robbing God. So as we look at Israel, we can ask ourselves some questions. Are we sincere in our worship? That's what we've kind of been examining the whole way through the book of Malachi. Are we sincere in our life and worship? Whether it's our personal holiness or the way that we come and worship God on on Sundays or every day. Do we worship God just because we're supposed to? Or is it our sincere response to who God is and what He has done for us? Why do you come to church on Sunday morning? Is it because you're supposed to? Is it because people will ask you why you weren't there if you don't go? Or is it your response to who God is and what He's done in your life? How He's been working in your life this week? Again, we've seen through Malachi all the different aspects of how Israel was failing in their worship. And today is no different. Today we will see that God desires sincerity in our giving. And we must ask ourselves this question as we look at Israel. How can we keep from robbing God? Because that was what Israel was doing. And that's what God was challenging them on. So how do we keep from challenging or from robbing God? So let's look at, uh, we'll be in Malachi chapter 3, uh, verses 6 through 12. And I'll read through that now. Starting in verse 6, it says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that... It will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to, bear, fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This section here is uh, said by some to be the fifth oracle given by Malachi. This is really the fifth time we see God challenging something differently about Israel. And in it we see another aspect of Israel's worship that needs to be corrected. And that is their giving. 
And we see a structure in this section similar to what we've seen in other sections. You have God making an assertion that you have turned from me. You must return. And then Israel says, how can we return? They, they answer with a question. God again makes an assertion. He says, you are robbing me. They say, how are we robbing you? And God's response is, in your tithes and offerings. And then He gives the implications of, of their robbing Him and what would happen if they do return. And really, what we'll see today is that we can keep ourselves from robbing God by remembering three truths. And we'll see them as we go through. And the first truth that we see in this passage that will remind us to not be robbing God is that God does not change. Here we see in verse 6, it says, For I, the Lord, do not change, and therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Here God is stating a truth for Israel. A truth that should motivate them. And that is that God does not change. This is, we talked about this a couple weeks ago in Sunday school. The immutability of God. God does not change. God's character does not change. And neither does His commitment to the covenant He made with Israel. However, we also see that Israel hasn't changed either. And not in a good way. They were consistently rebellious ever since the covenant was made. They didn't obey it from the beginning. Now there were times here and there where they did things that pleased God in their worship and in their obedience to the law. But in general, they did not obey the covenant. The only reason God hadn't destroyed Israel already was because of the covenant He made with them. He was faithful to the covenant, even though they were not. In verse 7, we see, From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. They've ignored God's commandments and not kept them. From the days of their forefathers. From the day the covenant was made, they've ignored the commands of God. We see a similar call to repentance in Zechariah. So this isn't the first time Israel has heard these words. And he says, "The Lord, Zechariah the prophet says, The Lord was very angry with your fathers, and therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Exact same words that Malachi is saying. Here in verse 7 we see God calling them to return so that He can return to them. So this might kind of give us a a question. Does this mean that God left His people? Does this mean that God is no longer with His people? Really, that's exactly what it means. Because divine rejection, God's rejection of His people was part of the covenant. That's what He said would happen. We see in a couple different places here in Leviticus 26, He says, "But But if, in spite of this, you will not listen to Me, and you walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. And I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. This is part of the covenant he made with Israel. In Deuteronomy, again, we see, then my anger, meaning when they disobey, then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. 
God made this covenant with Israel. And as he just stated, God doesn't change. God will remain faithful to the covenant. So then we see in verse 7, Israel's response to God calling them to return. And he says, but you say, how shall we return? They knew the answer to that question. It's similar to the other questions we've seen Israel ask God. How have you loved us? That's how the book starts. How have you loved us, God? Here we see, how shall we return? It really highlights Israel's lack of awareness of their own sin and their own rebellion and their lack of awareness of who God is and what they've done wrong. So here we see in this section that God doesn't change. That's the first thing that can help us to keep from robbing God. Is to remember who God is. God doesn't change. God is who He's always been. The second truth that we see in this passage that will keep us from robbing God is that God desires us, God desires His people to give sacrificially. So here God answers their question of how shall we return? And He addresses a specific area. This isn't the only thing they were doing wrong. This wasn't the only area that they were failing in as we've seen throughout the book of Malachi. But here in verse 8, He addresses a specific problem. He says, will man rob God? And yet you are robbing me. Will man rob God? God charges Israel with robbing Him. And they question, how, how have we robbed you? And he answers, in your tithes and contributions. They were robbing God through their tithes and their contributions. You see, Israel was required by the law to be giving their tithes and contributions to God through their worship at the, at the temple. And God was saying, because you're not doing that, because you're not giving me what you said you would give me, you're robbing me. Do we ever view giving that way? Do we view giving the way God does? Why was it robbing God? Well, ultimately, what, where does everything come from? God gives us 100% of what we have. And He's asking Israel to give back 10%. See, Israel knew very well what he was talking about when he says tithes and here it says, in the ESV it says contributions, but in some translations it says offerings. Your tithes and offerings. See, the tithes was part of the, the law that they were given as well. In Leviticus we see, every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Tithes were to be 10%. That's what the word tithe comes from, is the word for 10. 10% of what they owned. And this verse here just refers to the seed 
or the fruit of the trees, but there was a similar command like this pertaining to every aspect, whether it was their animals or their wealth or their land or their produce, everything. They had to give 10% back to God. Offerings were a different part of the law. Offerings were the portions of the sacrifices set apart for the priests. This was how the priests made a living. They, the Levites were workers for God, and they worked in the temple. They weren't given land as an inheritance. They had to live off what the people gave in the temple. We see there in Numbers that every contribution or offering, all the holy donations of the people of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his. Each one shall keep his holy donations. Whatever anyone gives to the priest shall be his. So this was how they supported their priests. Similarly to how we today support the pastor. Through our offerings. This is how God set things up. This is how it's supposed to work. The tithes and offerings were how people gave back to God a portion of what He'd given them. It's how they supported their priests, the Levites. Tithes and offerings were given to reveal their hearts. They would reveal where people believed their possessions ultimately came from. Really, if you believe that God gives you 100%, giving 10% back is not that hard. Because you get to keep 90% of it. It all came from God to begin with. Tithes and offerings reveal where your treasure is. That's why God set this law up. He knows the human heart. He knows that where we put our money is where our heart is. You know, the old, there's an old saying in, in church that if you look at your checkbook, you'll see what you worship. So if you looked at your checkbook, does it show what you worship? Where do you put your money? See, Jesus teaching this same principle in Matthew 6 and in a similar account in Luke 12. He's teaching His disciples, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for your selves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's our heart. That's why God set up tithes and offerings in the law. Because it would reveal your heart. It would reveal Israel's heart. And there wasn't a certain dollar amount or a certain number that they had to give, but it was a percentage. Because God was trying to get to their heart to help them realize where their possessions, where their wealth came from. God wanted them to be sacrificial in their giving. Not just to follow some rule or to go through the motions, even though that's what we see. We see Jesus in the New Testament rebuking the Pharisees 
Because they give 10% of everything, including everything in their spice rack. But they didn't care for the widows or the needy or the poor. He was challenging them because they were following the rules, going through the motions, right down to the letter of the law. But their heart wasn't in it. They didn't care. They were doing it because they had to. If they really cared, if they were really generous, they'd be taking care of those around them that were needy, that needed their help. Really, God wanted them to give until it made a difference in their life. We see Jesus illustrate this well in Mark chapter 12 with the Pharisee and the widow. And Jesus, going to the temple, sat down opposite the treasure and He watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. He called His disciples to Him and said, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who were contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus could see the heart. So let's make this a modern illustration. Say we have a rich person come in, a millionaire comes in and sits down. And we also have a poor widow, like in the story. The millionaire throws in a couple hundred dollar bills into the offering plate. And the widow puts in a couple pennies. Or a couple dollars. Now to our eyes, which of them is a better offering? I mean, I mean, on the surface, I mean, Benjamins pay the bills, right? I mean, we want the money. No. A couple hundred dollars makes no difference to someone that wealthy. And that's what Jesus is pointing out in this story. These wealthy people were giving lots of money. But they have lots of money. It made no difference to them. They wouldn't even miss it. This widow gave everything she had. She didn't even know how to pay for her next meal. She gave every cent that she had. Their hearts were revealed in their giving. Do you understand that God does not need your money? God's work is going to get accomplished either way. God does not need your money. God needs your heart. God needs your heart so that you can accomplish His work for Him. He doesn't need your money to accomplish His work. He needs your heart. That's what this example is getting at. This poor widow gave her heart to God. Not just her money. The third truth we see from this passage that can keep us from robbing God is that God blesses His people when they are sincere in their life and their worship. And that's what we see in verses 9-12 through here. God says, You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, 
If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke you, or I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and the vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Israel was cursed because of their lack of giving. And they shouldn't be surprised. This is what the covenant was. In the law, when you read the end of the covenant, it says, if you obey me, these will be your blessings. And it goes on for a whole chapter of the blessings they will receive as God's people if they obeyed the covenant, which giving their tithes and offerings was part of. But there's also another chapter that says, if you disobey the covenant, this will be your curse. And it lists all the curses they would receive. So all God's doing here is reminding them of the covenant that they are a part of and that they had failed to keep since the day it was made. In Proverbs, we see one of the wise sayings of Solomon that the people of Israel knew well. And it says, One gives freely and grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. What this really says is the generous person is satisfied. But the stingy person isn't. And why is that? Because his heart is after money. And if your heart is after money, you will never be satisfied. The generous person, his heart isn't in his money. He's willing to give it out to those who need it. You'll never be satisfied if all you want is money. If you want to make a certain amount or if you are looking to build up your bank account for this or you're looking to save your money for that. It is wise to use your money well and use your money wisely. And there's principles in Scripture for that as well. But you can't wrap your heart up in your money. You can't be fully concerned about your money. God wants your heart. Now when we look at this passage, can we say today that if we give 10% to God that He will bless us? Not necessarily, because this was written to Israel who was under the Old Covenant. And the New Covenant doesn't have this law in it about giving 10% and then giving the offerings on top of that. However, what do we see at the beginning of this passage? I, the Lord, do not change. God's character hasn't changed. God still wants your heart. God still loves His children and blesses His children when they have a sincere life and sincere worship. We see in verses 10-12 through 12 that God challenges Israel here. He says, put me to the test. Put me to the test. See if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing. He's talking about the rain. We see throughout the, the judges that when... Israel was obedient, the crops were good. The rain was coming. When Israel was disobedient, they got into a drought and the crops dried up. This was God's blessing and cursing on the nation. And He's just reminding them, see if I won't keep My Word. Repent. Come back to Me. See if you don't get blessed. 
says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and the vine in the field shall not fail to bear. He's saying, you realize why your crops aren't doing well right now? That's me. See if I won't change if you come back. See if things don't get better when you repent and you come back to God. See if God keeps His promise. He's challenging His people. See if I won't keep my word. So how do we keep from robbing God? Again, we need to be careful when we apply these Old Testament passages because we cannot say a certain 10% we have to give and if, if we do, we'll be blessed. That was the Old Testament covenant. The Old Covenant. However, the New Testament speaks to giving as well. It doesn't set a certain percentage that we need to give, but it shows that God is still concerned with our generosity and our giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church about generosity, and he says the point is this after he's given his argument. He says this is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. What he's saying there is you're not under the law anymore. But remember who God is. Remember God's character. For God loves the cheerful giver. And a reminder in verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Don't forget, God's the one who gives you everything. And God is able to bless you. Keep that in mind when you're giving. So that having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. So although we don't have the law to compel us to give, like in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, we do have the principles we see in Scripture about giving. We do know who God is. We do know God's character. And we know that God wants our heart. And that's, that comes through our giving. When we give generously, as, as Paul says here, we show that our heart isn't wrapped up in our money. We're not concerned about money. We know that God is the one who provides. And that He'll provide everything I need. So why am I concerned about how much I give? We know that God doesn't change. And that's the three truths that we can observe from this passage to remind us not to rob God. Number one is that God doesn't change. And again, Israel, if they obeyed the covenant, or the, yeah, the covenant that they made, if they obeyed the covenant, they would be blessed. If they disobeyed, they would be cursed. But the old covenant is gone now. However, God doesn't change. He still desires our hearts. That's what we can learn from the law. That's what we can apply to our own worship. He wants our hearts. And giving is part of our worship. And He wants our hearts in giving. Our hearts are revealed by where we put our money. God knew that from the beginning. That's why you put that in the law. That's what we can learn from the law. 
God still loves His children. God blesses His children. God is a good Father. He will take care of your needs. Do you trust Him? That's what your giving reveals. God does not change. Number two, God desires His people to give sacrificially. Now, there's not a specific number in Scripture that we are required to give. And God does not need your money. God needs your heart so that you can do His work. It's not your money that accomplishes God's work. It's God's people. God needs your heart. Your heart reveals where your treasure is. We saw that from the words of Christ. And when you're challenged like from this passage to look at your own giving, if your mind automatically goes to the things you won't be able to afford if you give anymore, your treasure is probably in other things. But if you give until it hurts, if you give until it makes a difference in your budget, you are showing God that your heart is not in your money and that you trust Him. That He will provide. God is your Father. And a good Father takes care of His children. And that's what He will do. And the third thing we see is that God blesses His people, His children, when they're sincere in their life and their worship. Your desire should not be for riches. It should be for God. That's sincere worship. So I would challenge us just the way God challenged Israel. Put God to the test. God challenged Israel to see if He would bless them if they repented in their giving and they gave what they were supposed to. And their giving revealed their sincere heart. So why don't we do the same? Why don't we see if God will bless us when we give sacrificially? Giving sacrificially means you give until it, ma- it hurts. Give until it makes a difference in the rest of your spending, the rest of your budget. It's not waiting until the rest of your budget is all set and then I'll give what I can afford. Giving sacrificially means, yeah, I've got to give some things up. I've got to cross some things off my budget so that I can give to God. And try it. See what happens. See if God blesses you. That's what He's asking Israel to do here. Put Him to the test. See if your Father loves you. See if your Father will take care of you and give you what you need. You see, God wants you to focus on worshiping Him. Not on what you won't have if you do. But also, I don't think robbing God is limited to our finances. I think we can rob God of our time and of our effort as well. What do you choose over giving time to God? Do you read your Bible every day? Or do you not have time for that? Do you come to church on Sundays? Or do you find something else that's more important to do? Because when we do these things, we're worshiping something else instead of worshiping God. 
These actions are our worship. And just because it's not God doesn't mean it's not worship. We worship other things. The fact is, the bigger you realize God is, the less likely you are to rob Him. What about of your talents and gifts that God's given you? Do you use them? Are you serving in church? Or are you robbing God of that gift He gave you? God didn't save you so you could just go to heaven and live your own life. One of the reasons God saved you was so that you could be gifted and and serve Him. So that you could do good works. Are you robbing God of your talents and your abilities and your gifts that He's given you? Again, when you realize God is the one who gives everything, it's not that hard to give back of your time and your effort and your gifts and your money. How big do you see God? When we withhold anything from God or choose to do things with our time or our money instead of giving those things to God, we're committing idolatry and we're worshiping something else. We're robbing God of what is rightfully His. It's what He gave us. It's what we owe Him if we are to live lives of sincere worship. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank You for today. We thank You for this passage of Scripture that really challenges us. We thank You for the challenges You give us to look at our own lives and our own hearts. Pray that we would do that today and and see where we can change and where we can become more like Christ and live more sincere lives of worship. We thank You for who You are and for what You've done. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.